Hi, I'm Katie. And I'm Dr. Cubitt. We're going beyond the barn. Come join us on this journey as we bust equine and livestock nutrition myths and interview some of the most intriguing experts in the country. We'll go behind the scenes of how premium Western quality forage is grown and brought to your favorite farm and ranch retail store. We're so glad you're here. Hi there, Dr. Cubitt. How's it going today? Hi, Katie. I am excited to be back uh, talking about alfalfa today. I know. This is, a, this is a good topic. I think that's one thing that's always being thrown around. And honestly, sometimes I feel bad about it is alfalfa gets a bad rap, especially like in the horse world. It seems like there's a lot of people or some people that um, feel that alfalfa is not a good type of hay to be feeding to horses. We're going to today, it'll be really fun because I did a call out um, a little bit ago asking our listeners, asking our followers, our Stanley family, you know, what alfalfa misconceptions have you heard about? Um, what are other things that you've heard about alfalfa that either you're unsure about, or you've just had somebody, uh, you know, at the boarding facility that you're at, they've talked about or warned you about. And so we had comments and messages come in and that's what we're going to talk about today. So we actually have questions that have come from horse owners themselves. So this is a little bit different than the other episodes that we've done before. And so this will be answering a lot of questions that people want to know about alfalfa. So it should be interesting to see what we, what we had come up. Fantastic. So first question, and this is probably, I don't know about you, but I feel like I hear this more often than I think almost anything about alfalfa, um, but that alfalfa makes horses hyper due to the protein level or that alfalfa will, will make a horse hot. One of the people that had commented this to us had said that alfalfa will make a horse hot and those same people saying that will also be feeding 14% sweet feed. What's your take on that? Yeah. And this is it, you're you're absolutely correct. This is probably the biggest myth when feeding alfalfa or, or any products that are high in protein uh, that the protein will make their horse crazy or hot. Um, and it's simply not true. Now, I'm not saying that if you added alfalfa to your horse's diet that he's not going to get a little excitable. Any extra energy and alfalfa is much higher in calories than a grass hay. And if your horse isn't utilizing those calories, then he's either going to get fat or he's going to have extra energy to burn. But it's absolutely not the protein. Um, if we, it would bore everybody to tears, but this, if we break it down into the nuts and bolts of how protein is utilized in the body, protein can be turned into energy, but in order to turn protein into energy, it utilizes energy. So you really come out of it energy neutral. You're not making any extra energy because you used some to turn protein into energy, um, if that makes sense. So I would say that alfalfa is a great option for a lot of different classes of horse that do need that added protein level. Don't shy away from protein from alfalfa because it's got high protein and it thinks you think it's right. going to make your horse excitable or hyper. What about, because I know 
people also say, especially those that have a really good barrel horses, they, they talk about this. They talk about how excitable their horses get. They get so hyped up. So explain that. It, obviously, it's not the protein. I mean, are they getting too much energy from either maybe feeding alfalfa plus a high energy feed? Or what kind of explains the situation going on with those types of horses? You know, if you look at barrel racing horses, they do the same uh, same mm-hmm. thing every single time, right? And and usually the setup at every show is very similar. So the level of anticipation, which is becomes a behavioral modification. Your dogs, for example, they anticipate that you picking up the car keys, we're going for a ride in the car, we're going for a ride in the car, and they get excited if every yeah. day you take them in the car somewhere. And it's the same thing. So part of that behavior and that because those horses are mm-hmm. so excited to run, yeah. or at least the good ones are, and and so they anticipate the activity that is coming. That's not to say that they don't they aren't also a little yeah. hyper based on what they've been fed. Now we know that fats and fibers are going to feed the uh, slow release energy pathways that you need long slow energy for. Sweet feeds that are going to contain corn, oats, barley, they're going to get broken down into glucose, and that is going to feed those fast twitch muscle fibers, which is what a barrel horse needs to use. They need to use short bursts of powerful speed. So in order to fuel the muscles that they need to go fast for short distances, we actually need to feed them those sugary, starchy carbohydrates. But we also know that that can, we've seen research to show that that can alter their behavior as well. But using the barrel horse for for the example, there's so much anticipation. So behavioral anticipation built in there as well. So do horses get a burst of adrenaline like people do then? Uh, I would say yes. And potentially that happens with with a an, a barrel racing horse when they're anticipating. Typically, that's going to happen when a horse is frightened, though, because horses are animals in general are fight or flight, and a horse is not right. going to stand and fight. It's going to run at fear, and that when he gets frightened, there's that burst of adrenaline that is going to fuel that flight response. Right. Okay. I was just curious because I wonder, because that's why people in the Twin Falls area that we have this bridge that goes across the Snake River Canyon called the Prine Bridge. And it's the only place in the United States where you can legally base jump, which is just jumping off of a bridge or whatever without a permit. So we have a lot of base jumpers coming. And those are those are people that are just like, they have that need for adrenaline, you know, they just thrive off of it. So it just kind of reminded me of that. And it just made me wonder if that was another thing that barrel horses are like that, because that's their thing, you know, interesting anyway. Mm. So takeaway on this is doesn't have to do with the protein level. But Essentially, the people with horses that they're struggling with their horses just getting too amped up on alfalfa, it just might be that maybe they have too much energy in their diet. Um, And that could be coming from the alfalfa, but it also could be coming from if they have a combination of some sort of like grain that they're also feeding their horse, right? Yeah. And if we go back to, you know, question one was alfalfa will make a horse hot 
same person also feeding a 14% sweet feed, the 14% protein has nothing to do with the horse getting hyper. It's the sweet feed, the mm-hmm. grains, the corn, oats, barley getting broken down um, and being released as, as sugars and starches. Um, that's what's modifying behavior, not the, the 14% protein. Okay. That was a, a, a good question. I think that we could start off with just because I know that's I think a very common misconception that alfalfa gets hit hit with and really at no fault of the alfalfa itself, but how the alfalfa is used because, you know, everything has its purpose and alfalfa has its place as well. We just got to make sure that it goes to the right animals and it ha- very much has a place for horses. We just have to make sure it's the right horses. Another interesting one that I saw was that alfalfa is higher in NSC than grass hay. And what's your take on that one? And and unlike the first one where I can make an argument that alfalfa may, might make a horse hot because it's got extra mm-hmm. calories, nothing to do with the protein. The second one, alfalfa is high in non-structural carbohydrates and grass hay. That is just absolutely wrong. Alfalfa is a legume and legumes are self-limiting. So what that means is when the sun shines on a plant, the process of photosynthesis occurs, which is creating energy that will be stored in that plant. We need sunlight for that to happen. In a legume, think about it like a gas tank in a truck. There's that when you're filling up your truck, you can only fill it up right, as full right. as the gas tank will allow. You've got a 20-gallon gas tank. That's as much as you can put in your truck. You can't mm-hmm. put 25. You can only put 20. Um, grasses, on the other hand, cool season grasses, uh, are not self-limiting. And as long as the sun is shining, they will fill every cell in their little grass body with sugar. Um, and they will continue to store sugar until... <laughs> The sun goes down and they start growing, actively growing. Now, warm season grasses would be um, the caveat there because warm season grasses uh, that you'll see, uh, like Bermuda grass hay, they also will store more of their energy as as um, starch and are more self-limiting. That's the other thing with alfalfa is it mm-hmm. stores its energy as starch where uh, grasses will store it as sugar. So alfalfa is always a great alternative for the um, thinner horse with metabolic issues, with uh, insulin resistance or maybe laminitis if we're trying to get some weight back on that horse because it is uh, a classically low carbohydrate, uh, low mm-hmm. sugar and starch hay. And you, okay, so you said grass haze, the cool, the cool grass haze. So those would be, for example, like your orchard or Timothy. And so those are the ones that um, are not self-limiting when it comes to taking in sugars. They're gonna, they're gonna hold on and hold Correct. on and keep holding on. That was actually a great analogy that you said about the whole gas tank thing. So I'm really glad that you uh, mentioned that, mm-hmm. and hopefully that helps people understand how that works a little bit better. Uh, let's see. The next question that we have, this person, okay, so it sounds like they had just gotten a horse and they were told by their the previous owners of the horse to not give him alfalfa because she had tried it once and it made him hyper, basically comparable to giving a kid on a kid sugar. So we kind of touched on this, I think a little bit um, in question one, obviously, but in this situation, what do you think happened here? I think that the if the horse is used to a local grass hay that was low in nutritional value, 
um, and not high in calories, and then you change it to alfalfa. Now, there's two things that could be at play. They could have gradually changed it to the alfalfa and um, it was too many calories, too much energy for the horse. But also, if they made a rapid feeding change and today we're feeding grass hay and then tomorrow just threw in, you know, a few pounds of alfalfa and didn't gradually introduce it to the horse, then the microbes that live in the hindgut of the horse they control behavior. And if they get out of whack, out of balance, then they can certainly alter the horse's behavior. So making any kind of rapid feeding change, not only does it make your horse sick, like give it diarrhea, but it can drastically change their behavior too. Uh, So two things could have been at play, but again, it's nothing to do with sugar um, because alfalfa doesn't really store sugar. It's just calories in general. It is a nutrient-dense ingredient, um, and there are some horses that just don't need mm-hmm. that much nutrition. And it almost sounds like if they tried it once with the horse, I I would highly doubt that they would be doing any kind of slow transition, you know, over. So Correct. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And this actually uh, goes into my next question uh, very well. Um, Does alfalfa change disposition? And I'll give you some reference with this, some context, I guess would be a better word. Um, So the person that was talking about this, they had found that one of their mares that they were feeding alfalfa to, it changed her disposition and until she stopped giving it to them. So it wasn't the actual alfalfa or the contents of it. that did it but the horse loved it so much she would just act crazy every time the person was going to go and feed her um, until she dropped it let her start eating and would practically run her over to go get it but giving her going back to grass hay like the horse never did that so is it just because like the horse just loves it so much or is, is there some weird thing with disposition and maybe this could happen with like other feeds I don't really know what's your take on that uh I mean that's a pretty kind of vague and now the story that's going on is probably a lot more going on. You know, is the horse actually getting fed enough hay? If it's going crazy and really changing its behavior when she comes out to feed it, then potentially she uh, wasn't, isn't giving enough hay. Like when we have horses that are on a restricted diet or have been taken from a rescue situation where they're not getting enough forage in their diet, Mm -hmm. they will bolt their feed. They will be food aggressive because they just don't know when it's coming back again. That kind of sounds like that situation. And yeah, I mean, some horses do really like it. Some don't care for it, but most horses like it because it's highly digestible. Um, But that, that to me with that kind of aggressive behavior enough that you took your horse off it because you couldn't handle that behavior more sounds like they probably needed to be feeding forage more frequently throughout the day so it wasn't having that aggressive meal response you already said this where there's probably a lot of missing pieces in here that we really just don't know enough about to to know the situ the full situation but i know before um you've talked about how horses are very much used to like being fed certain times of day and that can kind of change their like it stresses them out it can change their behavior when either they're being fed late absolutely stresses them out and i just read a study recently where they looked at consist so they consistently fed the horses at 6 a.m in the morning but what would happen to their stress levels and by stress levels they measured cortisol in the blood because that's a gold standard of how to measure stress in a research setting um 
if they fed the horses one day a week, they fed them at 7 a.m. And it significantly increased those stress markers when they came and out just an hour late. So horses are routine animals. They like to be fed at the exact same time mm-hmm. every day. So that can kind of also be why horses will sometimes have those, what we see as bad behaviors where they'll be pawing at the ground or if they're in their stall and mm-hmm. kicking at the door or, you know, the winning more than they normally do. Yeah. Those things to me are outward symptoms Mm -hmm. of stress, of feeding management stress. So they're anticipating that food. um, And and those are outward signs of stress. Right. I mean, I guess that that's an interesting study. Where where was that study done at? It was a European study and I'd have to look it up and we could post it on the Facebook page. Uh, Yeah, I couldn't remember either. I remember you talking about that, but that's interesting. So I guess that kind of just goes to show that sometimes I think it's important for us to take a step back and actually read the signs that our animals are trying to show us, because sometimes I think we get caught up with putting human characteristics on animals and comparing them so much that we forget that they can't talk to us you know, but they can't talk to us like we talk to each other, but they can talk to us through their behavior. And I say that all the time. I really think that horses tell us a lot, but we're not always listening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's our daily reminder about that to take a step back and maybe just see if our horses are trying to tell us something. So, okay. Let's see. Our next question we have is, um, this person was told that alfalfa is a quote unquote cattle feed, and it is not suitable to feed to horses in the long term. Explain to us (laughs) why this is not correct and where this would actually be very applicable for certain types of horses. So my preference is always to feed more forage and less grain. It's it's just healthier for horses. So when we have horses that have very high energy, protein, nutrient requirements, I'm always going to add alfalfa to the diet because I know it checks those boxes for me. And if you look at the horse's diet, where are they getting most of their nutrition from? The hay that you feed them. They're eating tw- a thousand pound horses eating 20 to 25 pounds of hay a day and maybe six pounds of grain. So he's he's getting most of his nutrition out of the hay. So if I can bring a lot of those factors that I need to the table in the hay, then that's a good thing. As far as alfalfa as cattle feed, there are certainly some alfalfa that is bred specifically to have extremely high protein, extremely high energy content, um, very digestible, that probably would not be suitable for for some horses because it's just it, it is too rich. Not all alfalfa is grown that way though. Um, that alfalfa would be great for dairy cattle because they're in constant, uh, pretty much negative energy balance. And you've got to get those cows consuming large quantities of protein and energy so mm-hmm. that they can lactate. But don't lump all alfalfa into the same boat. Um, I have some local alfalfa here that my horses don't want to eat, probably because it's really stemmy and doesn't really have the, that much nutritional value at all. So it all comes down to Uh, as you mentioned earlier about grasses, but it comes down Mm -hmm. to growing conditions and growers can tweak the outcome of the the product, the the alfalfa or the grass, um, based Mm -hmm. on how they grow it. And you're extremely lucky in the West where Stanley Hay is grown that 
you have the ability to control pretty much every environmental factor. It never rains, so you irrigate. Um, it, you mm-hmm. do soil tests and you put exactly the correct fertilizers on. So these plants are in active growing. So this is a situation where don't lump all alfalfa right. into the same boat. There's some really poor alfalfa and there's some extremely rich alfalfa. And I think this a statement like this stems from a person that grew up in the cattle industry, in the dairy industry, and they're used to that extremely mm-hmm. rich alfalfa that has a really, really high relative feed value that would right, not be suitable. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's a great answer for that question. So they're not wrong, but Right. Not totally right. wrong. There's a little bit. It's but. funny. Um, so I grew up in the beef industry. Like that's kind of that's where my most um familiar education experience comes from and so reading that I'm like looking at it and thinking beef cattle but you're so right about dairy too which I should know because I'm I'm in not quite the heart of the dairy industry here in southern Idaho but we're we're pretty dang close I think I think we're like third the third Mm -hmm. dairy producing state behind maybe Wisconsin and California I can't remember so nobody quote me on that but (laughs) um but yeah you're so right just because those those dairy cows just they need to be able to keep up with their um, milk production and high, high quality alfalfa will absolutely do that for them. So to flip back to our question before, I found the reference to that paper. If people are interested in going online and looking it up further, it was in the Journal of Applied Animal Welfare Science. And it was the effect of an irregular feeding schedule on equine behavior. Perfect. And you know what? I think we actually shared that also on our Facebook page. And this is around the when we're recording this. This is late January. Um, and if we haven't shared it yet, we will be. So if um, if you aren't able to find it, come check us out on Facebook and it'll be there at some point. <laughs> so thanks for sharing that that journal study. I think that's a really interesting, some really interesting research that they did talking about stress levels for horses. I, I'm, I'm really interested in just basic management of horses. And it's, it's a simple thing that we can easily control and change without having to spend a lot of extra money is the management of horses to decrease their stress. Absolutely. Okay, let's go to our next question. And this is about gastric colic due to too much protein between feed and hay. And again, let me give you a little bit more context with this one. Um, This person had mentioned that their horse had recently had a gastric colic because of feeding him alfalfa and was warning to be careful with it because the horse's feet if your horse's feed has high protein and then you feed the horse alfalfa as well, it's too much protein for the horse and gas will build up in their intestines and they will colic. Tell me more about that. Is there, what do you have to to share about that information? Um, I would actually say that. Is there something else? Is there something else maybe going on here? I think there's, I think there's a lot more to the story here and gastric colic or gas colic. Um, is really when the those microbes in the gut get out of balance, whether it's a weather change, a feed change, uh, a rapid feeding change, um, overexercise, they can get out of balance. And then certain bacteria will create excess gas and that can cause damage. So if it was a rapid feeding change, that could certainly happen. But how I look at alfalfa and its relationship 
to colic. Alfalfa is actually really good for horses that get gastric ulcers. And horses that get severe gastric ulcers can actually show colic-like symptoms because of the pain associated. So in those cases, I would say adding alfalfa to the diet can moderate some of that pain because it's buffering that stomach acid and it would decrease um, kind of colic related to that pain. But as far as a gas colic, I'm not going to say that alfalfa won't cause it because anything will cause it if you make a rapid feeding change. And no, it's nothing to do with the protein. Right. So that was my main thing looking at that question or kind of comment that she shared was, you know, whatever was happening, it's not saying it it happened, right? But maybe that we're making the wrong correlations there. So it's it's not maybe due, it's not due to the fact that there was a lot of protein in the alfalfa and a lot of protein in the feed and that combined caused the colic. So we kind of came to maybe uh, not the correct conclusion, but something else going on now, it, it almost kind of, and again, you only ever have certain parts of the situation. So you never know what's fully going on to be able to fully answer a question, unless you're there with them and being able to ask some follow up questions. But when you know, talking about getting gastric colic, because of feeding him alfalfa, it again, it almost kind of sounds like maybe they decided either they got, you know, they had some alfalfa availability to them, and they had run, run out of either their alfalfa grass mix or whatever grass hay that they were feeding before. And they were just like, okay, let's just start feeding them this alfalfa. And then because it happened at the same time, the correlation there was the alfalfa was what caused it because of all the extra protein. Yes, no, correlation does not always mean causation. So um, just because something happened at the same time does not mean that mm -hmm. that's what caused it. That being said, I, I would go back to if the horse was eating a local grass hay or even a regular grass hay that was decent quality, and they got some alfalfa that was really high in protein, really high in calories, really high in nutritional value, and they abruptly put that into the diet, then absolutely that could cause gas colic. And that horse, had you just added a uh, lesser nutritional, less nutritionally dense source of uh, alfalfa, um, it may not have happened. So there's always so mm -hmm. much more to the story. And it's hard to just kind of lump it all in. But a lot of times when we see gas colic, it's because of a rapid feeding chain. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's see. Our next question. Ah, this is another big one that I think we hear quite often. Can too much alfalfa cause kidney issues? And what horses are susceptible or is there any that are more susceptible or is it just any horses? So I will say that kidney disorder in horses, horses that have been diagnosed with kidney disorder, you want to keep the protein in the diet low and the calcium in the diet low, but feeding alfalfa to horses will not cause kidney okay. dysfunction. So that's sometimes we get a little confused. So the horse is diagnosed with kidney disorder and the veterinarian says, don't feed it any more alfalfa. So that gets oh. misconstrued as alfalfa I caused okay. the problem. Alfalfa didn't cause the problem, but it is high in, in protein. And we know that if the kidney is not functioning at 100%, then it's not going to be able to flush out excess minerals. It's not going to be able to uh, you know, be utilized in that protein metabolism cycle. So we want to keep the protein low, but no it will not cause kidney problems okay. in horses. Yeah, that's actually a good way to, to look at it because sometimes I wonder where these myths even stem from. Like how did these rumors even get started about certain things? 
I think with all myths, you can go back to an element of truth that is the stem, the beginning of every single myth. Um, and then it's Chinese yeah. whispers, you know, the beginning of the line, something gets said. And then as it goes through everybody and everybody's interpretation of it and everybody's story and, and scenario, then by the time you get to the right. end, it's a completely different story, even though it started with an element of truth. So myths, it's its good to talk about myths and really dig deeper into them because then you can get back, you can try and go back to where would right. this have started and then start there to dissolving that myth. Right. And then figuring out if there, whatever the myth is revolved around, whether it's an issue of some sort, um, maybe just seeing that maybe it was just misconstrued. Absolutely. Because all of the people that have written in questions, they've all had some kind of traumatic experience with their horse. And I don't want them to leave that tra traumatic experience with the wrong information because I want them to right. avoid it in the future. So if you leave a situation thinking that X caused it, but really it was Y, I want you to know that don't, don't, you know, worry about X, put more of your focus on Y. Yes. So it's all about education. And that's what these podcasts are doing. That's what our webinars mm -hmm. do. You know, we, we're, our goal is to be solution driven and give people uh, honest feedback in a casual m means that, you know, everybody feels like they yeah. can understand so that they can go home and make conscious changes yes, with their horses. Absolutely. I think that's, that's really good for people. Does uh, alfalfa make horses urinate more? Um, it can. It can because that high protein um, and if they're not, if they don't need all that excess pro extra protein, horses are really good at excreting mm -hmm. excess protein. That's the other thing about the whole pro excess protein makes my horse crazy. Um, it really doesn't because they're very efficient Right. getting rid of it. Um, so before it even gets turned into energy, they're getting, getting rid of it. But in order to get rid of it, it can tax the system. So you need to make sure that horses are drinking plenty of water. You know, I, I have gone to a lot of barns where they'll feed 100% alfalfa. Um, and if those barns are closed up in the wintertime and you open the door, whew, oh, you get yeah. that ammonia yep. whack in the face. Um, and that's just that excreted byproduct of them breaking down the protein and excreting um, the parts that they don't need. So you want to make sure they're drinking a lot of water. And if that was a broodmare facility and you were foaling mares in stalls and they were eating 100% alfalfa, you would want to add something like uh, yucca shitagira extract into their feed because that's going to bind up that excess ammonia in the manure and urine. Because you think about that baby foal laying down, if you get down close to the ground, that's where that ammonia is. Yeah is the worst and that can actually be a serious irritant to a young foal um so you want to make sure that they're not their breathing is not being irritated by mm, that that's a good point okay let's see i think we can probably squeeze in one more question today um we actually got a lot of comments and questions so i think we're going to go ahead and break this into a part two so our last question that we'll talk about um, on today's episode is they say a pound is a pound, quote unquote, about different forms of alfalfa. Hay has more water than cubes. Why don't cubes have more nutrients per pound? Is that I if, if that's even true? <laughs> uh, no, a pound is a pound is a pound. 
Um, Mm -hmm. A pound of pellets is the same as a pound of cubes is a pound of hay. And no, cubes don't have more uh, moisture than than hay and hay the same. Uh, Good hay has upwards of 90% Mm -hmm. dry matter. And same as cubes. Right. So I a pound is a pound is a pound is correct. A pound of alfalfa pellets is going to give you the same nutritional value as a pound of alfalfa cubes, as a pound of alfalfa hay or alfalfa chaff mm-hmm. or alfalfa chopped. Now, what you'll notice based on the physical form is the volume right. will change. And this is why you 100% feed by weight and not by volume. I've seen this fantastic um, graphic online where it's looking, it's it's alfalfa. I think it's a, a European one or a British one. So it calls it lucerne right. because that's what we call it in Australia and Europe. And it's got a kilogram of alfalfa pellets. And that's such a small volume because it's, it's more dense. So it fits into a smaller size. It's like a kilogram of rocks versus a kilogram right. of feathers. It's still a kilogram, but the volume is different. And then it's a kilogram of cubes and that's slightly bigger volume, a kilogram of chopped hay or chaff, that's a slightly bigger. And then a kilogram of hay is taking up, you know, a bigger portion of the table, but it's still giving you the nutrient value of a kilogram. All about weight. I wonder if this person, I don't know, I wonder if they were confused with, obviously there's much more moisture in pasture um, because once it gets into the hay form, the the whole process, the farming process with it is once the hay is cut, it is actually left there in the windrows to dry before it's baled. And so the drying uh, happens there before it gets baled. And so then once it turns from a bale into a cube, there's already so much moisture taken out of that hay just in the the natural drying process from being sun cured, which is sun dried, that there's nothing else, almost nothing else that could, could come out once it's put into cube form. Yeah. And it's not like we're harvesting pasture or alfalfa and we're going to harvest the alfalfa mm-hmm. at this rate and then it's that's going to get turned into cubes and we're going to harvest it differently and that's going to be hay. We harvest it, we make hay and then we chop that hay mm-hmm. up and put it in a cube. Now, where it would deviate is in some of our pelleted products, we might add in some oil, for example, to keep the dust down or add a little calories. Now that's going to change the calorie content and a pound of alfalfa with oil on it would be different to a pound of alfalfa hay because it's had something else added to it. But purely alfalfa hay chopped up into chaff or squeezed and run through a dye into a pellet or squashed into a cube form, it's all the Mm -hmm. same nutritive value. And remind me, I know we talked about this previously, about how much uh, moisture would you say is in pasture grass? Oh, depending on the time of year in the springtime, pasture can be up to 80% moisture. Okay. So there's there's a significant difference there from, from hay. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. Okay. So the fun thing is, is we've uh, finally launched, uh, officially launched our podcast at this point. And so we've got a few episodes under our belt now. Uh, and honestly, this podcast, the whole purpose for it, the reason why we decided to start working on this project and share it with our whole Stanley family is for all of you, all of our listeners and our customers. And so we 
our goal here is we want to be able to answer all of your most asked questions. Uh, we want to be able to shoot down misconceptions and rumors and maybe just like we talked about before, just pinpoint possibly where the, the partial truth might have stemmed from and to where it, the communication or the language of it got morphed at some point in time. And we want to be able to give you guys an inside look into the process of how high quality forage is produced and how it comes to you. And then I think one of the the fun pieces that we'll really be able to share also is allowing you guys to get to know the people who work for you and your animals every day, the people of Stanley and what what makes us tick and the people that really have their heart into producing good quality hay that is really going to set a lot of animals up for success health-wise and then just enjoying what they have to eat too. So those that are holding out for more species that we'll be talking about um, I know a few of these episodes, we've been focusing um, more on horses, but we have some future ones planned. So know that those are coming. If any of you have been wondering, we're going to be talking more about goats and chickens, and we'll even throw in some small animal ones as well. But now that we've got some of these episodes in, we want to hear from you guys. We want you to tell us what do you want to hear about? What have you liked so far? What have you not liked? If you don't like something, that's fine too. Tell us, <laughs> then we'll stop doing it. <laughs> um, but you can visit us at stanleyforage.com forward slash podcast. And that'll take you to a rundown of our podcast webpage and where you can subscribe. And then you can see where all the episodes are at. But you can also find us on your favorite podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, Google. Subscribe there. So anytime we drop a new episode, it'll show up in your podcast platform and it'll be ready for you. But you can also email us at podcast at stanleyforage.com. Give us your feedback. And we just want to be able to make this customized and um, just what our, our listeners want to hear about, because there's no point in you and I just rambling on, right? <laughs> no, you're right. So anyway, we're excited to be here and be doing this. And Dr. Cubit, I want to thank you for the conversation that we had today talking about a number of these different questions that horse owners have. And we will run to a part two on the next one to cover a few more questions. Those are going to be talking about we touched on it briefly, but we're going to talk about ulcers and alfalfa. What about horses that are prone to laminitis and some things like that. So don't miss out on the next one. And Dr. Cubit, thanks again for being with us today. Thanks, Katie. Looking forward to chatting more about alfalfa. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Barn podcast by Stanley Forage. We'd love for you to share our podcast with your favorite people. And subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite listening platform. Until next time, keep your cinch tight and don't forget to turn off the water.